Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Unionville Alliance Church. If you're a guest with us, we just want to give you a warm welcome. If you're watching online and you're watching for the first time, we want to give you a warm welcome as well. And uh, thank you for connecting with us. And we look forward to connecting with you more as well in any way that we can help and support you through your spiritual journey as well. Uh, we've been going through a series uh, about identity. Uh, but before I start this morning, I just want to say a word of prayer. I think, I think this might be one of the most challenging messages that I've shared here at Unionville Alliance Church. Now, don't everyone head for the door, <laughs> but let's open our hearts to the Lord and ask him to speak to us. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time in your presence. We thank you, Lord, for your word that convicts us, that challenges us, that encourages us, and that helps us. And we pray, Lord God, that you would help us to think deeply, that you would help our, our eyes to see the things you want us to see, and that you'd open up our heart to receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going through a series about identity. Um, in finding our identity in Christ, we started out by, in the series of the prodigal son, we started out by seeing, okay, the prodigal son has come home. What is it now to be sons and daughters in the house of the Lord? Uh, at the beginning of January, we talked about how we are forgiven in Christ and what does that mean uh, in our identity to be forgiven people and to forgive others. Last week, um, Pastor Tim uh, shared with us about being ambassadors of reconciliation, and this is a very um, external, outward type of identity that call, God calls us to, to share the good news of Jesus Christ and the gospel to others. Uh, today I'm going to look at uh, finding our identity in the family of God, and next week, Lord willing, we'll end our series on identity about understanding our identity as followers of Jesus. One of the biggest mistakes I think that we make when it comes to identity is that we think of it in a very individualistic point of view. We think of it in a very individualistic lens, who am I? What am I? What is my ethnicity? What is my culture? What is my profession? What is my sexuality? What is my talents? What are my abilities, etc., etc.? We think of me and my instead of discovering our identity in a collectivist framework. Instead of understanding our identity within the, the, the family of God, within a, a collectivist environment of, of the place and position and the type of people God is calling us to be within his family, many times we make the mistake of understanding identity in a very narrow lens of individuality. And I'd like to posit this morning that our identity should never be discovered, thought about, or lived out through the individual lens but rather our identity must always be discovered, lived out, and thought about in Christ, right? It, it means that it's not our own. And, and again, I think this is especially in the, in the Western world that prizes uh, and values individuality uh, as something that is very high and very important we can often find this very difficult to understand identity within the framework of being in Christ and in the family of God versus the identity that's really portrayed in our culture today of something that is very individualistic. 
right? And I think it's something that's important for us to understand. Uh, and we're, we're working in a, in a uh, in a bad framework here because we're so used to the individualistic culture. We're so used to this culture of me, myself, what is good for me, what are my rights, what, are my, what, what is owed to me, what I should have, which is really countercultural to the framework of the kingdom of God and what Jesus presents for us. And so today I'd like to, to, to look at, to discover a little bit about our identity within the family of God and as I said, which is very countercultural to, um, to our, our society and, and the Western uh, mindset that we often live and work within. Timothy Keller said something on Instagram this week that I read and I thought, oh, this works perfect for this message uh, today. This is what he said. And you can look it up on his Instagram account. He said this, modern secular culture tells its school children that they individually choose their identity. They define who they are. This is a late modern Western view, begun with the individualism of the Enlightenment, intensified by Freud, and producing what C. Taylor calls the autonomous buffered self. However, in most of Asia, Latin America, Africa, and the Middle East, identity is conceived in far more communal and relational ways, and the secular Western approach is seen as profoundly antisocial. This is it's very important for us to be able to understand the, the difference, and I'm, I'm not trying to pit Western ideology and thinking versus Eastern ideology and thinking and saying one is better than the other. I think what's better is the biblical framework and what Jesus encourages us to, how Jesus encourages us to think and how he modeled for us how we can find our identity in him. Throughout scripture, the Lord wants us to discover identity not in isolation, not in terms of individualism as the primary goal, but in the context of community and family. Psalm 86 verse, Psalm 68 verse six says, God places the lonely in families. We've already looked at this as we talked about the story of the prodigal son and, and his returning home. For many that are here today and, and those that are watching online, maybe you come from a very family-focused culture. Some of the things that we might talk about maybe won't seem strange to you because of your cultural upbringing. But for some, it might be, it might be strange. For some, it might be, oh, I don't, that's not really what I understand or my cultural upbringing. Uh, but the challenge for all of us, the challenge that Jesus gives for all of us, is the application of these principles beyond the nuclear family and beyond the extended family as well, right? It goes beyond, uh, naturally we wanna care, for, even if you're coming from an Eastern mindset or Eastern ideology, naturally you wanna care for your own nuclear family and you care for your extended family. For example, my dad, many years ago, he was losing his vision in one of his eyes. And long story short, I'll tell you the story a little bit more detail when we, when we go into our series on the Holy Spirit, but he came across a pastor who had a gift of healing and, and somebody told him, why don't you call this pastor to come to your home and pray for him, maybe you could be healed. And so what my dad said was, he called the, talked to the pastor and the pastor said, I can come on such and such a date. And his response was, my kids are not gonna be home. If God's gonna heal me, I want them to be there and to see it. So let's do it on a different date, right? 
Why did he answer that way? Well, he's coming from, uh, on, from an Eastern mindset and an Eastern cultural framework that says, my children are important to me, and so if something this significant is gonna happen in my family and in my life, I need them to be a part of it, right? But at the same time, if I look at my great-great-grandfather who heard the message of the gospel and decided to obey Jesus at the cost of losing his own nuclear family, his own extended family, and the cost to obey Jesus and be invited into the family of God and follow Jesus cost him his own family. But it brought him into a greater family as well. In, in a book called Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes, Removing Cultural Blinders to Better Understand the Bible, two authors, Randolph Richards and Brandon O'Brien, they highlight various aspects of culture that often cause us to interpret the Bible maybe in wrong ways or in different ways. In, in, during Christmas, we looked at the story of the prodigal son. And, and in this book, they talk about the story of the prodigal son and, and a little... Um, sort of test that was done. A uh, hundred North American students were asked to read the story of the prodigal son, the same story we just st studied in December, and retell it. Out of these hundred students that retold the story, only six of them mentioned the famine that the prodigal son had to go through. Only six out of the hundred. Why is that? Because in a, from a North American perspective and point of view, famine is not something that we usually deal with. It's not something maybe that a lot of people have experienced. And so only six of them actually mentioned the famine when they had to retell the story. Contrastly, 50 Russians readers were asked to read the story and retell it. Out of the 50, 42 of them mentioned the famine because they were impacted by the history of famine in Russia, especially because of World War II. Richards was uh, one of the authors in this book. He was a, uh, a missionary to Indonesia, and he tells a lot of stories. I encourage you to read the book, um, but he tells a lot of stories about his experiences uh, in Indonesia. Uh, one of the experiences stuck out to me. He said that he was in a small little village, with a, there was a small little church. A couple had moved to that small little village Right? And they were attending there for some time, and then after some time, they wanted to become members of the church. So the elders of the church came to uh, Richards, who was you know, the, the foreign pastor that was there, and said, we're in a big predicament here. How do we allow these people into membership into our church? They, they thought that these, this couple had done something terribly wrong, and we can't allow them into membership. So he was inquisitive, he said, well, what did they do that was wrong? And, and they didn't want to say because they lived in an honor-shame culture and they didn't want to say exactly what was, what was uh, the problem. And so, but eventually they said, what happened was these two people, they ran off together and got married. And Richards looked back at him and said, what, that's it? In America, we call that eloping. What's the big deal? And then they looked back at him and said, what? Haven't you ever read Paul? And he said, I think I've read Paul. What do you mean? He said, well, Paul says that you should obey your parents in the Lord. And they were, and they were shocked because in their cultural context, in their understanding, they said, this is what they said, they said, we understand that all children are not going to obey their parents in everything. We understand that. It's not always going to happen. 
But for such a significant, big event as marriage, for something as so important as family, for them to just go off and get married without their parents, that, that's disobeying God's word. Can you see here the difference and the value that they placed on family and community, which in a, in a Western framework and mindset sometimes is not always there. And that's why I say I think this message will be challenging to some. If you're coming from a Western point of view, it, it'll be challenging. If you're coming from an Eastern point of view as well, it might be challenging as well because now we have to look beyond even the nuclear family, look beyond the extended family, and understand what our roles and responsibilities are within this new family that God is inviting us into, which is the family of God. So you can see this in many cultures outside of a Western mindset that family and community mean a lot and they actually help us to identify ourselves, to find identity within that community. It's the saying, have you heard the saying before, it takes a whole village to raise a child? Have you heard that saying before? Well, that's literally in many cultures what it is, right? Look at the example of Jesus. When Jesus uh, had Mary and Joseph's custom was to go to Jerusalem and worship in the temple every single year. One year when Jesus was 12 years old, what happened? Jesus didn't go back with them. It took a while before Mary and Joseph even knew that Jesus was not there. By the time the evening came, they were like, okay, where's Jesus? Oh, where is he? And they took three more days until they found Jesus. And he was there in the temple teaching. Why didn't Mary and Joseph notice before? Do you think it'll take you about 24 hours to notice if your child is missing now? Anyone here? I don't think so. But in Jesus' days, it was. Why? Because it takes a whole village to raise a child. In that community, in that culture, in that environment, they just assumed Jesus was with his cousins. Jesus was with his family members. Jesus was with his uncle or his aunt. He was taken care of. It wasn't a big problem. Community and, and uh, family was, was much different. And, and so for us, coming into the spiritual family, coming into the family of God, understanding our identity is a communal experience and not one to be understood through the individualistic solo lens that we often find ourselves trying to figure out who we are. And I wanna share that uh, in, in a few different ways this morning. I think if we have to understand the fullness of the gospel, the plan of salvation, the beauty of the character of Jesus, and the fullness of God, we need to understand community and relationship and understand identity within that framework. Because even God is defined as a trinity, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit enjoying fellowship together. They enjoyed that fellowship together in the former eternity, and they will enjoy that in the eternity to come. And they invite us into that fellowship to enjoy that fellowship with them for all eternity. It's impossible to understand the identity of the Father without Jesus and the Holy Spirit. It's impossible to understand the identity of Jesus without the Father and the Holy Spirit. And it's impossible to understand the identity of the Holy Spirit, which we'll look at in the, our next series on the Holy Spirit, without Jesus and the Father. Culture teaches us to find our identity within ourselves, within our talents, within our abilities, within our ethnicity, within our culture, within our sexuality, within our profession. That's what culture teaches us. 
But in fact, to understand our identity in its fullness is to understand it within our community, within a spiritual family that we are born again into. And unfortunately, many people don't see that aspect of identity and continue to look at it through the individual lens. And so this morning, I want to look at, at, at four different things. The first one is to find our identity as part of the family of God with Jesus as the elder brother. And again, I'm asking you maybe like, just take some time to think about some of these things. And I wanna encourage you after the service, either go on our website and download our life group uh, questions or for those that are here in person, you can grab a copy on the welcome desk. But take some time to think about this and ask the Lord, Lord, what are you asking me to do? Lord, how are you challenging me to see myself, understand my identity, not through the individualistic solo lens of who am I, but through the lens of community and family and the framework that God has placed us in by bringing us into the family of God, okay? There are many times, you know, that we live without purpose, without aim, without goals, because we don't know what the will of God is. A lot of times when you talk about identity, what does it actually mean? A lot of times when people are looking for identity, they're looking for purpose, they're looking for mission, they're looking for an aim, they're looking to do something with their life Quite frankly, they're looking to do the will of God. But one way that we can discover that identity in Christ, because all of this is connected to Jesus as part of his family, right, is by doing the will of God. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 12. Jesus' mother and his brothers and sisters had come uh, looking for Jesus. They wanted to talk to Jesus. And so some of the people came and told Jesus, hey, Jesus, Jesus was busy doing ministry. Uh, and they said, hey, Jesus, your mother and your, your, your family, your siblings are outside. They want to talk to you. This was Jesus' response. He said, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he pointed to his disciples and said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. This is, this is completely countercultural for an Eastern framework where parents are valued, siblings are valued, and family is valued. For Jesus to give such a, an answer was really a slap in their face. But what he says here is that we find our identity, our purpose, our goal, the will of God in this family of God. And so that's why I say it's challenging because if we're in a, in a Western mindset where maybe family and community are not really held up in the in same esteem as it is in an Eastern mindset, well, whether you're coming from an Eastern mindset or a Western mindset, the Bible is countercultural to both and says, hey, find the will of God in this spiritual family that God is inviting us into. Find the will of God and do the will of God within this spiritual family. Discovering God's will is often, often a cardinal point when it comes to discovering identity because it gives people meaning and purpose. And, and in this particular understanding, we see that we are part of God's family. Jesus is our elder brother, and he helps us to discover that as part of his, part of his family. You know, sometimes when people are looking, for, looking to understand the will of God, what do they do? Maybe they lock themselves in a room. They say, I'm going to fast and pray until God speaks to me, or I'm going to put out a fleece before the Lord, you know, like Gideon did, right? And, and if it's wet, you know, then I know this. So I'm going to ask the Lord. Or, or maybe you want to be like Daniel and say, like, God, can you do some handwriting on the wall? Friends, these are all individualistic ways of discovering God's will. But God invites us to discover his will in community 
within the family of God. Don't wait for the handwriting on the wall. Don't wait for locking yourself up in a room until God audibly speaks to you and you just want something direct. It's something that's, that's learned and discerned within community. More often than not, we see throughout God's word how God speaks within the community of faith. And we discover our identity and the will of God and purpose and meaning through that community of faith. Look at the example of Paul and Barnabas. You might think, okay, well, the great apostle Paul, God spoke to him directly about a lot of things. Well, what does it say in Acts chapter 13? It says, one day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, this was their church in community, a group of people together, praying, discerning, God, what is your will? What is your purpose? What do I need to do? It says, appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work which I've called them to do. They heard the voice of the Lord. They said, that's not enough yet. We're going to fast and pray. We're going to seek the Lord. So that's what he did. So after more fasting and prayer together, what happened? The men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. When Jesus called the 12 disciples to follow him, they knew that ministry and work and the will of God and identity was found within that community. Within, following Jesus was not just a solo affair, but they had others with them to follow along as well. Even Jesus in Luke 10, he called others, he said, now the Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. He didn't just send them alone. He sent them together. Life was not, the spiritual life and identity was not meant to live out or be discovered alone, but Christ calls us to walk with him and walk with others in discerning his purpose and will for our lives. And that's why when, when Jesus said, who are my brothers? Who is my, my sister? Who is my mother? Well, it's these people that are doing the will of God. They have this understanding, this discernment as we walk together doing God's will. And that's why we encourage everyone here to join a life group to do community together, all the more in this time of the pandemic when isolation and, um, and loneliness is at the highest rate probably that it's ever been. All the more God calls us to live out this spiritual life in community. Even Paul learned this lesson because after his conversion, do you know what Paul did? He isolated himself and he said, I'm gonna pray and discern and, and try to figure out the will of God. But after doing that, right, what does he say in Galatians 1? He says, then three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter, and I stayed with him there for 15 days. Paul knew, hey, look, I can go and do all these things and pray and discern and everything, but I need the community of faith around me to discern what God is speaking to me and what the will of God is for my life. So he went up to Jerusalem to talk to Peter. Even in the early church, when there were contentions and when there were problems, where did Paul go to? Well, he went to the elders in Jerusalem to discern. What did he say? The next chapter, Galatians 2, verse 2. While I was there, I met privately with those considered to be leaders of the church and shared with them the message I had been preaching to the Gentiles. I wanted to make sure, I wanted to confirm that, that we were in agreement for fear that all my efforts had been wasted and I was running the race for nothing. See, Paul wanted to discern and find out what is the will of God, what am I doing, is my doctrine right, is my teaching right, so what should I do? I'm going to come to the community of faith, I'm going to come to these leaders that are there in Jerusalem, and I'm going to pray and discern and ask the Lord, Lord, is this what you really want from me? Because I fear I don't want to have done all this work in vain. I don't want to just be, I just don't want this to be a solo effort here. Discernment about God's will happens within community. It happens within the family of God. 
We go to our brothers and our sisters, and we seek for guidance and help by those that God has put around us. We find our identity not in an individualistic lens or mindset, but we find our identity within the family of God. Find purpose and meaning within that family of God that God invites us into and brings us to. Even when Paul traveled and he did his missionary journeys, ministry for Paul was a communal affair. Even when he had a split with Barnabas, which we talked about before uh, last year, when he had a split with Barnabas, what did Paul say? Forget this guy, Barnabas. I can do this on my own. I don't need anybody else. Did he say that? No. He, okay, well, I, I can't get along with this guy, Barnabas, but where's Silas? Silas, Silas, please, can you come with me, Silas? And not just Silas, he had other people that traveled with him, Timothy and Luke, who ended up writing about all of his travels. It, ministry for Paul was not a solo effort. It was a communal affair. It was something to be done together. And our identity must be found within the family of God that God has birthed us into, where Jesus is our elder brother. Do you feel lost, unfulfilled, without direction, without meaning, without purpose? Well, the Lord has given you or wants to give you a family that surrounds you, the family of faith, the family of God, to support you, to help you to discover your identity in Christ, His calling, and His will for your life. Can I ask you, as, as we saw this uh, video even this morning, Cheryl's story about how she had, she was lost. She didn't have meaning or purpose, and she had gone through some heartaches, but, some, but she decided to go to Alpha. Can I ask you to invite someone to Alpha as we start it on January 31st? Can I ask you to invite someone to experience the beauty of joining the family of God? Can I ask you to invite someone to say, let me experience the beauty of Jesus and the wonder it is to belong to a family and not to be alone. When we are in Christ, we are in his family and can understand his will for our lives. The second thing, and we're going to look at this through different angles, but we find our identity in the body of Christ with Jesus as the head. Here again, we see this communal understanding of the body of Christ, this communal understanding of our relationship with Jesus, right? A lot of the times we, you know, we, we look at this in a very individualistic mindset, but if you look at the metaphors throughout the Word of God, if you look at the way Paul and Jesus taught, you can see very clearly that there's this communal experience that God is looking for us to find our identity in. In 1 Corinthians 12, you can read it from verse 12 to 27, about how we are all members within the body of Christ. Verse 18 says specifically, but our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. Each member has a particular identity, not by itself, but within the body, right? If I were to tell, oh yeah, I got, I got an ear in my back pocket. Here's my ear. Is that ear going to do anything? Is that ear useful? The only way that ear is useful is where? On my head. Operating in conjunction with the rest of the body. My ear finds its identity and purpose not by itself on the chair in my back pocket or whenever I need it. It finds its identity and purpose when it is on my head operating as it should. Yes? That's the way the family of God works. The whole body, in, in these verses in Corinthians, Paul says, 
The whole body is not an eye. If the whole body were an eye, then where were the hearing? If the whole body were, were, were an ear, where were the smelling? See, we find our identity and purpose not in an individualistic lens by itself. Oh, this is me, this is what I do, this is who I am, and I can do this, and I can do all of these other things. And we just, this, that's, the, that's our cult, cultural way of looking at identity in a very individualistic way. The biblical framework of looking at identity is within the family of God. What is our role within that family of God? The eye by itself just left alone will shrivel up and die. But the eye within the body functions to God's purpose and plan. In Colossians 1 and verse 18, it says, Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. How do you find identity in Christ as a member of the body? Well, here, as Christ is the head, right, we identify ourselves as members within this body and Christ as the head. Well, part of it has to do with submission. We submit to the head. We get our instructions from the head. What if each member did whatever they wanted to do? Where would identity come from? If my left hand said I'm going to do something else and my right hand said I'm going to do something else and my right leg is going to go somewhere else and my left leg is going to go somewhere, if everyone did what they wanted to do, how would the body function? If everyone did what they wanted to do, how would we find identity within Christ, within the family of God? But each member functions not independently, but as part of the body. And this is very, very hard for us to understand in an individualistic Western mindset that values freedom, that values individuality, that values a person making their own decisions. It's very, very hard for us to understand this biblical mandate and this biblical framework within the culture that we are growing up here in Canada in the Western world, because it's what Jesus is saying here, what Paul is saying here, is countercultural to what we are used to. We are all used to, I want my rights, I want my freedoms, I want to do this, I want to do... Paul says something completely different here. He says, no, you are members within the body of Christ. You get your instructions from the head, and you operate, you find your identity within the body of Christ. But it's strange for us because we live in a culture that values individual rights, that values individual autonomy. And we prize the individual over the group. We prize the individual over the family. And again, even for those that come maybe from an Eastern cultural background, maybe you can understand and value the, the prize of, of the collective family or, or parents and relatives, and you might find it maybe a little bit easier to understand, but there's a step further that you have to take this because you're not just limited by the nuclear family or not just limited even by your extended family. Now here God challenges us, Jesus challenges us, Paul challenges us to do what you would do for the family of God, right? To extend that to the family of God, to members of the body of Christ, understand how they function, and gain that identity in Christ as part of his family. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, all of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is part of it. All of you together, not individually, but all of you together are Christ's body, and each of you are a part of it. It is this togetherness that's important here. We all have an identity, but it has to be in connection to Christ, not apart from him. And this is the fault, I think, that, the, that, that we struggle with in the Western world where we try to identify ourselves with, with individuality. If you were just an I, 
could you find the fullness of your identity? No. The fullness of your identity as just an I must be seen within the context of the whole body. And this is how Christ intended it to be. This is how God has ordained it to be, right? Have you ever, have you ever heard the expression, oh, he's my right-hand man, right? It, it, it denotes a, a, a dependence, right? A dependence on somebody that if you were to cut off your right hand, you wouldn't be able to function in the same way. And in a similar sense, if you say, oh, he's my right hand, I'll give you a, a basketball analogy. Michael Jordan, we all know Michael Jordan, famous. Well, Michael Jordan wouldn't be Michael Jordan if he didn't have Scottie Pippen. Scottie Pippen was his like, right-hand man, for those who don't know. <laughs> right? Scottie Pippen was his number two guy that was with him for all of his championships. And if it wasn't for Scottie Pippen, Michael Jordan probably wouldn't be as famous as he is because Scottie Pippen was his right-hand man. It's the context and our dependence on one another. Right? It, it, God teaches that, teaches that to us from the womb. My son Joel, he's completely useless, right? He needs our help for everything, right? He can't do anything on his own, right? He needs our help for everything, from feeding him to changing his diapers to putting him to sleep to changing his clothes, right? God has taught us from the womb, our dependency on others. And God wants, somehow we, we outgrow that, and then we think, I can do everything on my own, I don't need anybody else, I can do this, I can do that. We find our identity within this individualistic framework, and we toss everybody else aside, when God, from the beginning, wanted us to realize that we live in community and family, and our identity needs to be found within this family that he's brought us into. And he tries to teach us that right from the beginning. But somehow as we grow and we get smarter and get more wisdom, more wisdom, and get more understanding and do all these things, we think, I can do this on my own. Right? We are born into a family of God. We, God wants us to be connected to him, to find life and meaning and purpose and identity in him, within his family. We need that connection to others. Ephesians 4, verse 16 says, He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. This is God's purpose within the family. Number three, find our identity as living stones in the temple of God with Jesus as the chief cornerstone. Adeline read those verses from 1 Peter chapter 2 that talks about it. But friends, do you know that you are living stones within the temple of God that he is building? And we are supporting and helping one another as we offer up spiritual sacrifices to the Lord. Verse 4 and 5 says, You are coming to Christ who is the living cornerstone of God's temple, and you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. Part of our identity in Christ is that we are connected to him as the chief cornerstone, as living stones in the house of God. Jesus once referred to himself as the house of God as well, and he's, he's talked about the temple during his day and said, I'm going to destroy this temple, and in three days I'll, I'll build it again. And all the people there are, what? How are you going to do that? This tem temple took 46 years to build. But Jesus was talking about his own body. He was talking about his own resurrection. See, there is a sense of identity that he was the temple of God, and we also 
are the temple of God. 1 Corinthians 3 says, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and the Spirit of God lives in you? It doesn't say, don't you realize that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God lives in you? It says, don't you realize that? What? All of you, together, all of us, together, not an individualistic mindset, but all of us together are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God lives within us. When Jesus left this world, he told the disciples, what did he tell the disciples to do when Jesus left this world? Go all to your individual rooms, close the door, fast and pray, wait for the Holy Spirit to come. No. What did he say? He wanted them to experience the fullness and power of the Spirit in a communal way. So he said, go and wait. And they waited together, 120 of them, waited together until the Holy Spirit came down upon them and filled them. Ephesians 2 says, um, Ephesians 2 says, you are members of God's family. Together, we are his house. Again, these words, together, not individually, not set, but together we are his house, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple in the Lord. We need to understand our identity as part of this temple. When you think of stones, what do you think about? You think of support and structure. I can tell you right now, I cannot stand here in this pulpit by myself. In and of myself, Daniel cannot stand here. Daniel cannot lead Unionville Alliance Church. I cannot do it on my own. Laura, number one, is a tremendous support to me. Without her, I don't know what I'd be doing. The elders at Unionville Alliance Church support me in wonderful ways. Because of their prayers, their encouragement, their support, I am able to stand here and be able to minister to you. The staff here at Unionville Alliance Church, we have a wonderful staff that works together, that, that, that does ministry together. There's no way this service happens or things happen during the week without our staff. We have key leaders and volunteers like you all that labor and do things together. And because of that, we can function together as the temple of God, that this place, Unionville Alliance Church, can be a house of prayer, that this place, Unionville Alliance Church, can be a place of refuge. It's all of us working together as part of this temple. We are part of this temple, offering up spiritual sacrifice to the Lord. We all have roles and responsibilities to, to play. Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone, and we are those other stones being built up as this temple. 1 Peter 2 verse 5 says, Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. We cannot do this on our own. If you look at the early church, what happened in the early church? They went from house to house. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They went from house to house. They ate together. They studied the apostles' teaching together. And they prayed together. They did life together. They, don't have, they didn't have things like us. Like, you know, we encourage people. I'm not trying to negate this or look down upon this. But sometimes we encourage people, make sure you have your own personal Bible reading time. Make sure you have your own personal devotion time. Make sure you do all this. And, and we, we, this is part of our West, uh, Western mindset where we highlight this individuality. I'm not saying anything wrong with it. You know, again, I'm not saying that the Eastern mindset or the Western mindset, one is right or, or wrong over the other. I want you to understand the biblical framework. But oftentimes we, we highlight this individuality when in the early church, they didn't have that. They didn't have a Bible on their phone or, on, or, or even in their hand. They studied the Word of God together in community. 
They studied the word of God, fellowshipping one with another. They, didn't, they weren't able to go and say, okay, I'll, just, I'll do my own personal Bible reading here. I'll highlight this and highlight. No, they couldn't do all that. Now, I'm not saying not to do that. Yes, you should do that. These are great new avenues that God has created for us. But we also have to understand that in the early church, they studied the word of God together. They learned the teaching of the apostles together. They found identity and purpose together. And that's why we emphasize life groups. We, we provide an opportunity for people to grow together, challenge one another, encourage one another, pray for one another. We have a new prayer leadership team. Cheryl Rowe, Salome, Alagaratnam, Donna Rowana watching online. They did a wonderful job with our prayer course um, in the fall, and they're our new prayer leadership team. We're looking to add one more person to that as well. But starting in February, we're starting a, 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 a weekly Zoom prayer. But not just that, we're starting a weekly, a weekly prayer focus where as a church, we're gonna, ask, we're gonna challenge ourselves to pray with a focus intent on something particular every single week. And if you wanna jump in on Tuesday nights for that Zoom prayer, you can jump in as well and pray for, for that thing in particular as well. We want to be a praying church. We want to pray together. We want this temple, this house of God, physically, spiritually, to be a place of prayer. We want this place to be a house of prayer. It's, it's one of my burdens and one of my, my desires for Unionville Alliance Church to be a house of prayer. It's important that we pray together, that we gather together. And in this season, whether it's gathering together in person or gathering together online, this season of the pandemic has really done a disservice to this communal uh, atmosphere and this communal identity that God is seeking for us to have. It's put so many hindrances towards a communal identity. And there are people that are struggling with loneliness and isolation. And I want to encourage you, if you're in that situation, connect with people. Connect with the family of God. That's part of understanding who we are, is not doing life by ourselves, but doing life together in community. And if we can help you and assist you in some way, please reach out to us. But unfortunately, the pandemic has really hindered that work because it's created more isolation and created more loneliness, whereas the work of God is not for isolation and loneliness, but to put us together. Whether that's in the body, the metaphor of the body of Christ or the metaphor of temples in the, the house of God. We find our identity as living stones in the temple or in the house of God. Everything that God has called you to be as a stone in the temple of God, it is through the help and support of others. It's not a solo act. Even the gifts of the Holy Spirit that God gives to the church for what? Do you know what the, that verse says? We'll talk about it when we do the series on the Holy Spirit. But the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for the blessing of that individual person? No. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are for the edification of the body of Christ. If you have a gift, it's not for you. It's to be a blessing to, to others, right? So even discerning the spiritual gifts has to happen within community, right? I, I can say all that I want that, oh, you know, I have this gift or I have that gift, but if nobody around me confirms or affirms that, then, Daniel, you're pretty lost there. You don't know what your gifts are. We discern our gifts within community as well. You know that six, think of it this way. Do you know that six of Paul's letters had co-authors? Did you know that? Six of Paul's letters in the New Testament had co-authors. But we, in our Eastern, uh, sorry, in our Western mindset, what do we often think of? Paul is this genius. Paul is this theological giant. Like, we just attribute it right to Paul and he did all of these amazing things when 
probably, we don't know for sure, but more than likely, those letters in particular that had co-authors, Paul wrote that communally, right? Together with those people. But because of our value of individuality, our value of, of, of that singularity of, of a person doing things on his own, we often just attribute things just to Paul. When actually, probably the theological revelations of the depth of understanding was Paul understanding what he was writing about in community, right? I, I think it was probably a collaborative effort in writing to these churches, right? And, and, and sometimes we think, oh, this person is gifted and that person has done this and that. We're not self-made. We are the product of people that have invested into us. We are the product of people that God has surrounded us with. We are the product of the Spirit of God working in us, building us up, changing us. We are the product of Jesus coming and transforming our lives and changing us. Our identity is in Christ as His temple. In, in 2 Peter 2, verse 9 and 10, it says, For you are a chosen people. Do you see the plurality that's there? You are royal priests. You are a holy nation. He, he's addressing a group of people, not the individual. You're God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. Remember, Peter is writing to a group of people. He's writing to a group of dispersed Christians around Asia Minor, right? He's called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity, not as an individual, you had no identity as a people. But now you are God's people, these references are not, to, are not individualistic references, but is understanding our identity and community and family as a nation and as a people. And part of it is the eternal, the eternal city of God that God is building, that eternal temple that God is building. Look in Revelation 21. In verse 2 it says, I saw, this is John saying, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. John is really mixing metaphors here, right? If you saw a city, would you say that's a bride? Huh? Well, what's, a, what's, a, what's a famous city that you might go and visit? If, if you went to Rome, oh, look at that beautiful city, Rome. It looks like an individual bride. No. See, what, what, what John was seeing here, when he says, I saw the holy city come down beautifully dressed as a bride or adorned for it wasn't about an individual bride. It was about the family of God being the bride. It brings us to my last point here. Find our identity as the bride of Christ with Jesus as the bridegroom. But we have to, we have to again, step out of this individualistic mindset because what is, what is our mindset when we think about a bride and a bridegroom? Two people coming together, just those two people. Oh, how wonderful, how nice it is, marriage, and all of those things, and that's great. But when Jesus gives us or when Paul gives us this framework of the bride and the bridegroom, it's not one person with Jesus, is it? Are you with me? It's the church with Jesus. We discover our identity in Christ. We realize that he has made us his bride by making us part of his family. 
It's a different aspect of intimacy than brothers and sisters and, you know, fathers and mothers. There's a completely different aspect of intimacy that we, that we haven't looked at yet in all of these other examples of seeing that we are children of God and brothers and sisters and Jesus as our elder brother. Complete different aspect of intimacy being the bride, right? And it's, again, something more deeper to think about. But it's the oneness in his family. It's, it's the distinctness of being that bride. Revelation 19 says, Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. See, the, the singular nature of the bride doesn't speak of individualism, but rather unity and oneness that makes us one as the bride. So in the reference here, when it says the bride has made herself ready, it's not speaking of individuals, but it's speaking of the collective nature of the church, right? Part of our identity in Christ is unity with others that joins us to Christ. Look at what Paul says in Ephesians 5. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one, right? So, so Paul says, look, you know, marriage is, is a picture. It points to marriage is really just the shadow of the, of the fullness of what Jesus wants us to be. Marriage is just a shadow of it because it ends when life ends here. But as John saw the new Jerusalem coming down as a bride adorned for her husband, that bride, that church as one is the fullness of relationship that God is looking for us to have. It's, it's the fullness of identity in Christ that he's looking for us to have. So that's why it says here, this is a great mystery. Take some time to think about this. It's a great mystery, but is an illustration of the way that Christ and Daniel are one. No. Christ and John are one. Christ and Paul are one. Christ and Keisha are one. Christ and Salome are one. Christ and Claude are one. No. Christ and the church are one. I hope you can see that through the various examples that I've given this morning, that, God, that we need to step out of our individualistic mindset and understand identity in the collective nature that God has laid out for us in Scripture. Because it's not all about us. It's about Jesus and finding our identity in him. It's not about just the eye doing whatever it does. No, the eye finds identity within the body. It's not about the stone just left by itself, but the stone finds identity within the larger temple with the other stones that are built up together to make this beautiful place. And it's not just about the singularity of the bride that says, oh, she's so beautiful and wonderful. No, but it's the bride that represents the larger church where we find purpose and meaning there. Now, I've gone a little bit overboard, worship team, please come. But I, want us to, I wanted us really just to think about this, this aspect. And, and as we wrestle and as we struggle with this, especially as we're, we're surrounded by, by a culture that really is countercultural to the Word of God, we have to understand what God is calling us to. It's not I, but Christ in me. And as we sing this song, let's think about that. It's not about me, it's not about myself, but I find my identity in Christ and in the family that he's called me to be a part of. That family of God, that larger family that in this verse is the church that is married 
to Christ. Let's stand together and let's sing.